says, then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me be patient or, or, or hear me patiently. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your truth that sets us free. And Spirit of God, we ask you to give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church. We pray that you would penetrate our hearts with your word today, Lord God, and that you would be glorified in these next few moments, God. Father, I pray that we would not be simply hearers of your word, but that we would be doers of your word. God, may I decrease and may you increase. May you receive all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, someone said... You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Does everyone have an outline for note-taking? If you don't have an outline, raise your hand. All right, everybody's got an outline, then we're good. So you can follow along with me in the beginning here. I kind of followed last week's questioning after speaking to the pastors and kind of discussing how we should go about the questions. I did it a little bit different. Rather than giving you all of my points, I give you space for you to take notes on the inside of the outline. And then we ask about five questions there for you to discuss in your connect group. So it's important that you do take some notes and that you look at those questions as we're going through the message. But here we find... The Apostle Paul, as he shares his case before King Agrippa, he was excited to do so before someone who was an expert in the law of the Jews, who is also a believer in the scriptures because his case would be fairly tried and clearly seen for what it was. Up until this point, and just to kind of, for those of you that may not realize where we are in this, what, what the Apostle Paul has been going through is something that none of us want to go through. For the last two years and change, he has been incarcerated for no reason. They have no reason to have him locked up. He is simply locked up, and we learned a few chapters ago, because he didn't want to pay to get out, and so he decided, you know what, I'm going to stay right where I am. I'm going to continue to use every opportunity that I have to share the gospel, and so on this particular day... As, as we learned last week, Festus was not sure as to what he was going to send Paul to Caesar with. And so what he does is when King Agrippa comes in, he says, look, I don't know what to say about this guy. I don't know what to say about his charges because I really haven't seen anything that is worthy of death. I haven't seen anything that's worthy of charges. And so maybe you can help me out. And so Agrippa agrees to do that. He decides that he wants to hear Paul. And as you'll learn later on in this chapter, as we read through it, King Agrippa, um, Paul accuses him, and he never denies it, of believing the prophets or believing the scriptures. And so Paul is excited because he knows who this guy is, and he realizes that for once he's going to be before someone who actually has some real knowledge of the law that he is going to be expounding on and that he is going to be talking, talking about. And the reality is for us that most of us will never stand before kings while we are here on this earth. Some of us may, but most of us will not, yet each of us is called to give clear witness to the resurrection reality of the gospel. And what we have to understand is that God, by, by faith in Jesus, has united us with himself in order that we would be his image bearers while we are here on this earth. A great responsibility that we as Christians have, as those of us that are in here that have been born again, is that we would be those who would bear witness to the resurrection. And the way that we do that is by bearing the image of Jesus as clearly as possible. And, and the way that that happens is by, number one, us living out the gospel, us living our lives in a way that brings glory and honor to Jesus. But it doesn't stop there because it's not just about living it out. Um, Paul says in, in the book of Romans, how will they hear unless someone preaches to them? And so what happens to us many times as Christians is that we want to believe this lie, and this is a lie straight from the pit of hell. We want to believe that if I live righteously, people will get it. If I live right, if I do the right things, people will understand. And what we, what we fail to miss is that people are not mind readers. Hello. And if you never share the reason why you live the way you live, then you have done them a disservice because you have not given them the clarity as to why you are the way you are. You're not this way because you're a good person. You're not this way because you were raised up in such a great home. All of those things may have something to do with it and that Jesus has made you good because you're born again or you were raised in a Christian or godly home that taught you morals. But that is not what the heart of the matter is. The reason why you do what you do is because of Jesus. Because of how Jesus has impacted your life. And just as the apostle 
You and I must take advantage of every opportunity that we have to share the gospel. And I'll say it like this. God is constantly opening doors for us to share. The question is, are we following his lead? There are doors that are always being opened before us, opportunities and conversation where we can begin to speak about Jesus, opportunities with people where we can begin to share the gospel. And the question is, are we following his lead or are we just following our own direction? Are we being sensitive to his spirit? You know, it's funny because when we pray for Sunday morning services, we usually pray, God, have your way. Holy Spirit, lead this service. Lord, we don't want to do anything to grieve you or dishonor you. But it should be the same way for all of our lives. Amen? We should be the same way. Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. Let me be sensitive to you. Let me not grieve you. I'm reading this book called Gospel-Centered Discipleship. And in that book, one of the things that he talks about is he talks about the need for the power of the Holy Spirit in order for you to be transformed. If you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, there is no transformation. Amen? There is no changing of life if the Spirit of God is not working inside of our hearts. And one thing that he said there for us being able to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit is not to look at alterations in our agenda as an issue. Hello, somebody. What I mean by that is when we have plans, you know, I don't know about you, but I like to plan out my day. You know, I like to plan, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I have all of these certain things that I want to do. And whenever something happens, I'm just confessing my sin to you right now. Whenever something happens that goes against my plan or something that wasn't in my plan, like someone calls me when they weren't supposed to, hello. Or someone doesn't show up where they're supposed to be. Or something doesn't happen. Or there's, you know, an accident that is hindering me from getting to my destination at the exact time that I wanted to. When those things begin to happen, what, what, what happens to me is it becomes frustrating. But what this author says, he's like, look, don't look at those moments as something that is just happening just because. But look at it as an opportunity that the Holy Spirit wants to do something. Look at it as, I mean, you know, and, and, and I think that we've all seen situations where, you know, we're driving down the road and we see this long accident and something might have happened that made us leave our house late. You know, our, sometimes our spouses make us late. Amen. <laughs> Notice I didn't put a gender behind that. I just said spouses. Amen. Glory to God. Because sometimes it's the husband that makes the wife late. Glory to God. Not often, but sometimes. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. But, but, but the point of the matter is we get upset and we get bothered because, you know, why couldn't things be on time? Why do we got to be leaving late? And I know, look, I'm just talking about me because I know none of y'all are like this. But when I get in the car and I'm going to be late, it upsets me. I be straight in the flesh. I just, I don't want to talk to no one. And it's not because I'm meditating on Jesus. Hello. It's because I'm foul and I'm, I'm just upset. But the point is, how many times, how many times have, have, have we gone and then you see an accident that happened right where you would have been? Had you had, had you had left at the time you wanted to leave. See, when you go by those actions, you just say, God, glory to God for this amazing spouse that just saved my life. <laughs> Hallelujah. Listen, and that is not a license to be late, glory to God. I'm just, I just want to clarify that. That is not a license. Well, babe, because now we're going to have spouses saying, listen, the Holy Ghost is using me today. I'm just, <laughs> listen. The, the, the thing is, we have to be sensitive and realize, you know what, if that appointment didn't happen, if that situation didn't occur, I said, God, lead my life, right? And God doesn't show us every single thing that we're going to do at every single moment. He doesn't do that, but he does lead us, amen? And so we need to be those who say, God, am I following your direction or am I ignoring your direction? The first point that I ask you to re- repeat after me is this, say, the gospel must define who you are. The gospel must define who you are. And the title of the message today is Gospel Defined, Gospel Defended, and Gospel Driven. Gospel Defined, Gospel Defended, and Gospel Driven. And so if we look, we we saw in verses 1 through 3 there, the Apostle Paul begins to talk to King Agrippa. He begins to make his... he begins to make his appeal, and I like the last part of it in verse 3. It says, therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. This is his way of saying, this may take a while. This is way of saying, I may take a few moments in my dissertation. I'm going to take my time to speak to you. And so, Paul, this is the longest, actually, of his, of his rebuttals and his communications as far as what he does. So we're going to look at verses 4 to verse 18, and then we'll come back and we'll look at that, at, 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 at the Scriptures and break them down. It says, verse 4, he says, My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. And so he's saying, look, he's like, everybody here that, that's here, they know what my life was like. They know who I was. This is not a mystery to them. He says, they knew me from the first if they were willing to testify. The point is, they weren't willing to be honest about that. That according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. 
And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. Again, he is talking about why he is being judged. It is because as he was devoted to the laws of God, as he was devoted to this Pharisaic lifestyle, as he was devoted to living a pious life, there was a hope that rose in him, which is what should happen to us if we're believers. If we say that we're believers, there should be a real hope that is in our hearts. It shouldn't be just walking around that we know what the Bible says, but reading the scriptures should produce a certain type of hope inside of us, not just for the future, but it comes from us understanding the future, understanding what happened on the cross, understanding the resurrection, but it also produces a hope within our hearts now. Because the apostle was well-versed in the scriptures, he had this hope that was in him, and all of the fathers, not, not just a hope that was given to him, but to, uh, but to all of the fathers according to verse 6. Verse 7, he says, To this promise our twelve tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. And so what he's saying here, he's saying, all of these people that are accusing me falsely, you know what they're living for? They're living for the hope I'm proclaiming. They're living for the hope that I am declaring. They're living for the hope that I am saying that I have found this hope. And they're accusing me because I'm saying that I found it. Verse 9, he says, Indeed, I myself thought that I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put, in, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly enraged against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. And so what he does is he starts off and he says, listen, he said, I was, I, I was, I was a Jew that was known by all of the Jews. I was a Pharisee. And, and, and as I was devoted to being this person, there was a hope that was within me. I found this hope, but then he says, but here, I want you to show, I want to show you how devoted I was to Judaism, that before I found this hope, I was a persecutor of this hope. Before I found, before I encountered Jesus, I was against, I thought that I had to do a bunch of stuff to make sure that everybody knew that that wasn't the hope that we were waiting for. And so he communicates to them and lets them know how serious he was about his devotion to God. In verse 12, it says this, he says, while thus occupied... As I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest. At midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. Whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose. To make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen. And of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. You need to pay attention to this because what Paul is saying right now, this should be for every one of us that is sitting in this place. This is why if you are born again, if you're not a Christian, this is what God wants to do for you. He wants to liberate you from the darkness and bring you into the light. And you may be sitting there and not know Jesus and think, well, I'm not walking in the dark. I can see. I want you to know Paul thought he could see too. Hello. Paul was fully assured that he could see. And there's a reason why the scripture here points out that he, he, he makes it a point. And God made it a point to reveal himself, not to Paul at nighttime. I love this. He made it a point to reveal himself to Paul at midday. Meaning that he revealed himself to Paul when the sun was its brightest. When the sun was its highest in the sky. And what did Paul say? He said a light that outshined that light. In other words, in, in, in his eyes, he was not walking in the dark. But when the light of God... God entered into his life, it outshined the brightest light that we can ever know. And it's the same way for us because what happens is before we come to know Jesus, we are walking in a certain level of light. But when God turns the switch on, that's when you realize how dark that light really is. And so, the, and, and so what, what the apostle is communicating is he's saying this. He says, and this, this is our commission as well, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Our job, church, 
is to live our lives as clearly image bearers of the Almighty God. And as we live our lives, there is a certain level of light that comes through us. But then we are also called to open our mouths and testify to the wonder and the power of who God Almighty is. And that way what happens is as we open our mouths in faith in Jesus about who Jesus is, about this glorious gospel that we have been entrusted with, the light begins to get brighter and it begins to get brighter. And the truth is this, some people will run from the light rather than run to the light because the Bible says that men love darkness because of what because they love their sin what does that mean that you just turn off the light because they love darkness no it means you continue to be the light you continue to shine brightly you continue to be consistent and pray that God would open their eyes to their desperate need for him because as we see and see here's the thing all men Listen, there are two people, we say this, there are two people in this place, those that know God and those that do not. I'll add something else. There are two people in this place, the ones who are under the power of Satan and the ones who are under the power of God. There is no in-between. You are either under the power and authority of the devil or you are under the power and authority of God. That's what the Bible says, not me. Because when the message of the gospel comes forth to those who are bound by the power of Satan and they respond in faith, they are liberated from the powers of darkness and brought into the power of Almighty God into the light of his kingdom. The apostle shares his testimony for the third time in the book of Acts, his past life. And what he does, he shows us his past life and his passion for the law and even to the degree that he was against Jesus. And what that does is it testifies to the reason why he was so passionate in the present. Because what happens is when we look at his life and we see he was so passionate and zealous for the law to the degree that he persecuted and was opposed to the gospel being preached. And now once he encounters Jesus, his life is changed. His life is changed forever. And now he begins to preach this gospel. And the first point was this. The gospel must define who we are. The gospel must define who we are. When we look at the Apostle Paul, I love him because throughout in, in, in 1 Corinthians, he tells the church, not just the leaders in the church, hear me. He tells the entire church, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The entire church, see, because a lot of times what we'll do is this. We look at a person like the, like, like the Apostle Paul, and we're like, well, he was an apostle, he's a leader. So you know what, those who are leaders in the church, they're the ones that need to live this life. It's not true. Every one of us that is called a child of God is supposed to live this life that brings glory and honor to Jesus, and we must find our identity in him or be defined by who he is. When we look at Paul, we ask the question, what defined him? Was it his past? Was it how great of a Jew he was? Was it how righteous he was according to the law standards? Was it how high up on the, you know, the, 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 the totem pole or whatever that he was among the Jews as a Pharisee of Pharisees as he communicates later on in one of his epistles? Was that what defined him? The answer to the question is absolutely not. What defined the Apostle Paul was his encounter that he had with Jesus. His encounter with Jesus gave him this new identity. Why does this matter to us? Because the question we have to ask ourselves is what is it that defines me? What is it that defines me? Too many of us, we allow our past to define us. And let me say it like this, good or bad. Some of us will allow the good of our past, and we remember all of those encounters we had with God, and remember all of those experiences we had with God. Listen, if I go back to the last 19 years of me being a Christian, I can go back to a lot of encounters with Jesus, some glorious times with God, some things that I could hang my hat on and say, man, I know that I knew him then, but the question is not, did I know him 10 years ago? The question is, do I know him today? The question is, am I still pursuing him, or am I allowing my yesterday's glory to define me today? That's not what's supposed to be happening. I love what Jesus says to Paul. He says, because I will show you more. He didn't say, I'm just going to give you this encounter, and that's going to be the end of it. But he says he's going to continue to reveal to him and give him to preach. Because what? Because as he experiences and continues to encounter his God, then what is going to happen to him is he is going to be able to be used by God to continue to communicate what is defining him and what makes him who he is. See, some of us allow the good of our past to define us. Others of us, we allow the bad of our past to define us. See, others of us, we look at all the bad that we've done, and the past, the past for some of us is yesterday. Hello. 
I'm just saying. Some of us, we, 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 we look at all the bad that we've done, all the wrong that we've done, and we're like, you know what? That is what defines us, and what is supposed to define us is the gospel. What is supposed to define us is Jesus, the same way that, that it was for Paul. Let me tell you like this. Our past is good for three things. Let me tell you what that is. The first one is good memories. It's good for good memories. Hello. Our past is good for good memories, not sinful memories. Hello. Some of you need to repent of some memories. You still get a smile on your face when you think about that sin you were living in. Uh Uh-uh. That's not the memories I'm talking about. I'm talking about good memories, things that we should rejoice in, like the birth of your children. Hello, that's a good memory, glory to God. Good stuff, right? The past is good for good memories. The past is good for lessons learned. Amen? So the first thing is good memories. It is good for good memories. It is good for lessons learned. That's, That's what the past is good for. Not to look back and, I mean, you can't cry over spilt milk. Hello? So that, that's the problem with some of us. We're crying over spilled milk, looking at yesterday. We can't do that. We did, I, I love you. Look, you cannot continue and drive effectively if you're always looking in the rearview mirror. It's all good to know what was behind you, but you need to start paying attention to what's ahead of you. And so we, it's good for us. So we have what? We're able to have good memories. That's the past is good for that. The past is good for lessons learned. But the third thing that is the most important is a testimony of a changed life. So it's good for good memories. Our past is good for good memories. Our past is good for lessons learned. But the most important thing that our past is good for is to be able to testify of a life that has been changed. And see, some of us, you know, some of you weren't, weren't, weren't like me. You weren't like this crazy heathen. I mean, I was really bad. I was out there just living totally ungodly. Some of you are like, man, I don't have that testimony. You don't need to have that testimony, but you still need to have a testimony of a changed life. You need, to have a, you need to have a point. See, when, what, what, see Paul here, the, the, the only thing with Paul is that he was extreme, right? But if you would have taken away the fact that he murdered and that he was like a persecuting the church to murder, if you would have taken away that part from him, this dude was one of those guys that had a boring testimony. Are you hearing me? Yeah, what, 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 what was his testimony? Man, I used to go to synagogue three times a day. Hello. I memorized all of the law. I was, I was climbing up the, the religious ladder within the community of the Pharisees. I mean, what, that, that, that's a pretty boring testimony. Sound like if you, looked at, if you looked at Paul, you would think, man, this guy doesn't need Jesus. You look at some people's lives and their past life, it's like they didn't really need Jesus because they weren't out there killing people. They weren't, you know, they, 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 they were doing all kind of stuff that seemed really good and all that. But hold on a second. Did there ever come a point in your life, and, and this is a question that's for you, did there ever come a point in your life where you realized that you weren't good enough? Did you, did you ever come to a point in your life where you realized that your righteousness was not righteous enough in comparison to God? Because what should happen is my past life should testify to a changed life. Well, you know what? I may continue because you may have been a person, you was a good, you know, good spouse, you are a good parent, you were a good student, you were a good employee, whatever. You were good in all this stuff, but then you met Jesus, and now it wasn't just about your testimony. It wasn't about you just being a good, a good anything for yourself any longer, but it was about you being who you were for the glory and the honor of Jesus. See, that's the difference, is that my motivation becomes different. It's not because I want to accolade on the back or a pat on the back. It's not because I want someone to say how great you are. It is because I want people to say how great your God is. That should be the heart cry of a true Christian. If it's about you, you find your identity in other things. Amen? The second thing is this. Repeat this after me. What defines us, we will defend. What defines us, we will defend. Let me give you an example. If you're a person that, you know, you are defined by your employment, you will defend the fact that you are a workaholic. Hello. You will defend the fact that you have to work so many hours. If you find your identity in those things, you will defend that. If you're a person that finds your identity, listen, some people find their identity in good things. There's nothing wrong with working. Amen? Amen? I know we don't want to work, but here's the point. The point is work, work, was not, work, work wasn't the product of sin. Hello. Y'all ain't hearing me. Some of y'all think, man, if Adam wouldn't have fell, we wouldn't have been, you know, we would have just been in the garden, you know, walking around naked, everything would have been all good. You're right. We would have been walking around the garden naked, but we would have still been tilling ground. Hello. I'm just saying. He didn't, he didn't put Paul in the middle. I mean, not Paul. He didn't put Adam in the middle of the garden and say, hey, man, just chill out naked and drink, you know, lemonade all day. That isn't what he said. He told him to work the ground. He told him to care for what he gave him. And so we were going to work. Now the sweat of the brow and the, all that other stuff. Now that's a different story. Those things are products of it. 
The point is, working is not a bad thing, but when you find your identity in work, there's a problem. The same thing with parenting. You may find your identity in parenting. And so you want to be an amazing parent. You want to be a better parent than your parent was to you. And you find all of your identity in that. And then what will happen is you will justify why you can't participate in church stuff because what? Because you are busy worshiping your idol of self. I can't participate in this. I can't participate in that. And and listen, we can go down the line. I'm just going to give you those two examples. But the point of the matter is that whatever defines us, we will defend. And so while the gospel defines us, when, when, when the gospel defines us, our deepest passion will be to share Jesus with others. And what will happen is, as I was saying earlier, while the Holy Spirit is leading us into being able to share, what we will be doing is we will be looking for opportunities to share the gospel with others. But that only happens when the gospel is what defines us. And so look at verses 19 to verse 23. Paul gives his story. <clears throat> he explains his conversion. He explains what happened. He explains where the hope came from that he now has, that he now proclaims. And in verse 19, he says, therefore, King Agrippa. See, what he's doing is he's tying this statement. He says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He's defending why he is being the way that he is. He's saying, look, I had this encounter with God, and I was not disobedient to it. And that is the only reason why I'm doing what I'm doing is because I had this encounter, and I could not be disobedient. He said, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting of repentance. It's the same message that we have, is it not, church? That we proclaim unto this world that they need to repent of their sin, that they need to turn to God, and they need to do works befitting of repentance. I love that because it shows that it's not just about a one-time prayer. Please hear me. It's not just about someone. See, a lot of times us as Christians, we get excited because someone says a prayer. I get excited when someone says a prayer. I remember someone that was very close to me when we were near the building. I remember one time I was doing an altar call, and, I, and they raised their hand. And because of my love for this person, I began to weep. With, you know, I began to weep when I saw their hand go up. But you want to know what? They didn't persevere. They didn't continue to live out the faith that they raised their hands saying, I want to walk with Jesus. They didn't continue to bear fruits that are worthy of repentance. They didn't show that lifestyle. And so what am I saying? We should get excited about those people who make those declarations, but we should also encourage them to continue in the faith. And listen, if you respond to an altar, when you respond to Jesus, know this, this is not the end of the road. This is the beginning of the race. This is just the starting line. This is where you begin to walk with Jesus. This is where you begin to live a life with him. This is where you begin to serve him faithfully. That is what it means to do works that are befitting of repentance. It is to live a life that brings glory and honor to Jesus. He goes on in verse 21. He says, for these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Why? Because he called them to repentance. Because he told them, your righteousness is not righteous enough. He told them, you cannot do this on your own. You cannot live this how you want to live. He's telling them, you, look, you guys think you have it. I'm letting you know that you have not arrived. And so they seize him. Because what? Because he is, he's, he's over there bearing the truth, communicating the truth, and he's not compromising on this truth. <clears throat> Verse 22, he says, therefore, having obtained help from God... To this day I stand, witnessing both to small and to great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. And here's the gospel, clearly, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Paul clearly defends the gospel because it defines him. Paul has been marked by his encounter with a risen Savior, and all of his actions from that encounter have been to tell others about Jesus, to tell others who Jesus is, to tell others that Jesus is the Messiah that you have been waiting for. Listen, you know this, that there are people out there looking for their own Messiahs. Hello. 
Look, they, they, they'll, they'll try to find it in all kind of stuff. They try to find a Messiah in money. They try, to fi- they, they try to find Messiah in accomplishments. They try to find Messiah in marriage. They try to find Messiah in children. They try to find Messiah in all kind of different things. They try to find their functional saviors in all kinds of things. And here is the reality, church, is that while Paul is speaking to a select group and he's saying these people that knew the law, they were, they were pursuing Messiah just like I was. Here's what we know is that we may. That, that, that the people that we're around, they may not know the Bible, they may not know the scriptures, but they are still seeking a Messiah. They are still seeking that peace in their lives. They're still, they're, they're still seeking something that says that they're okay. And guess who has it? You and I. We have this revelation, and it should burn in our hearts. And the question comes back to the first one, what defines us? See, because what happens is, we, that, that, that's the greatest struggle, is to make sure that it is the gospel that is defining us and not anything else. And let me say this, as, as a person who preaches the gospel, as a person who tries to live for Jesus, I struggle just like everyone else between the gospel identifying me and other things identifying me. That's the bottom line. Other things, you know what, I, 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 I want to be this good dad, and sometimes I can find really, you know, a lot of pleasure and a lot of joy. You know, I see my daughter, you know, she's working, she serves in ministry in different areas. I see my daughter up here singing, you know, with the youth on Fridays, and I can get really proud and be like, oh, you know, I've done such a great job. And I can find my identity in that. And I can rest in that. But is that where my identity is supposed to be? I'm supposed to rejoice when I see my child serving God. I'm supposed to rejoice when I see them seeking. Them. I, sh- I should rejoice when I see them hungering after God. But I cannot be defined by that. It's the same thing with me being a preacher. Listen, I, and, 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 and please don't stop if you decide that you want to, okay? You know, people say, you know, Bishop, good word, praise God. You know what? That encourages me. That enc- but you know what? What will happen to me is that I can easily... Try to find my identity in that rather than in Jesus. I can easily try to find my identity in the things that I do for God rather than what God has done for me. And everyone in this building, see, I I, I say it jokingly, but I'm talking about me, but everyone in this room, if you are honest, you struggle to maintain one central place where you find your identity. Every one of us does. And the thing is, we find our identity in different things. You know what God does? God calls us to repentance and says, no, you can't find your identity in those things. You can't be defined by those things because here's what happens. When you or I are defined by something else, our mind and our heart becomes consumed with that something else. And when it's time for us to defend the gospel, we are at a loss. Why? Because my mind has been so consumed by those other things. But see, when my identity, when, my, when the definition of who I am is in the gospel, you know what my mind is? My mind is being renewed by the word of God. I am allowing the spirit of God to transform me. So what happens is when I get out there and the opportunities arise, guess what? I'm not at a loss because I've been meditating on this. See, there's such a big difference. I love getting around people. There are certain people that you get around, and man, you can't be around them for five minutes without you start talking about scripture. And why is that? Is it because they're just, you know, so spiritual or whatever? No, it's because that's what's going on inside of them, glory to God. It's because God is doing something in them. And no matter what, that is what comes out of them. So you can always tell what, 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 what defines us by what we talk about all the time. Seriously. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, what defines us? will drive our determination. What defines us will drive our determination. Look at verse 24 with me. And we'll read to verse 32. It says, Now, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning doth make you mad. Hello. That's not in my translation, but I just heard that a lot of times. But anyway, much learning is driving you mad. Much of, you, you've learned, he's saying, saying Paul, you, you're out of your mind, dude. You're talking about resurrection. You're talking about all that stuff. He's saying, you have lost it. He's like, wait, wait a second. How could, how could you be, I mean, he, he just like, Paul, you, you're a Pharisee, you're a Pharisee. You know the law. You're an intelligent guy. He's like, how could you believe this nonsense? He says, hold on. He says, there's something wrong with you. And Paul goes on to say this. He says, but he said, I'm not mad, most notable Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. I speak the words of truth and reason. 
He's speaking what the truth. He's speaking plain truth of what the scriptures have proclaimed. He hasn't lost his mind. Verse 26 says, for the king, he's speaking of King Agrippa now, before whom I also speak freely, knows these things. Now what he's doing is he's saying, look, if I lost my mind, so did he. If I'm out of my mind, so is this king. And watch, watch how he puts this king on, on front street. He says, for the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. First of all, he's like, you know this. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. What is this thing that he's talking about? He's talking about the life, the death, the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. These things weren't done in a corner somewhere. These are things that happened and this king knows about. And he goes on and he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? It's a rhetorical question. He says, I know you believe. He put him on frustration. He's like, dude, I know you believe what the prophets say. I know you believe this. He's like, so I'm not out of my mind. If I am, then this king is out of his mind. And then King Agrippa, he says, and, and then King Agrippa replies to him in verse 27. He says, in verse 28, he says, then Agrippa, Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Now, I want you to know that's a bad translation of those words there. The better translation of those words is, do you think in such short period of time, you'll convert me to become a Christian? It wasn't a question like when we read it, they were like, oh, you see, he was almost an honor. What he was saying was he, was he was responding to him the same way that Festus did. See, here's what I want you to notice in both of these men's reply. What Festus does and what Agrippa does is they try to defer the attention of the conviction of the Holy Spirit that was on them to some other question. See, because what's happening is when the gospel is being preached, listen, my brothers and sisters, be assured of this. When you and I open our mouths to preach the gospel, the Holy Spirit is moving because that is what we have been commissioned to do. And so what that means is while we are speaking, hearts are being penetrated. Hearts are being hit with the gospel. And what will happen is people will either respond in faith and say, okay, God, I submit myself to you. Or they will try to deflect and defer. Those are things that we refer to as smoke screens. That's all they were doing. Because what, 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 what is happening is the almighty eye of God is burning on their heart. It is like God is sitting there and he is illuminating them. And Festus is like, man, you're out of your mind. Because you know what? If you're out of your mind, I don't have to listen to you. If you're out of your mind, I don't have to hear anything that you're saying. And then Agrippa comes back. And what he's saying is this. Is he says, he says do, you, do you think you persuade me? Now, this word becomes so very important because it is the word pitho. It's P-E-I-T-H-O in the Greek. And, 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 and the reason why this word is so important, it, it means persuade. It means to persuade. But the reason why this word is so important is because it is the root word from where we get the word for faith, which is the word pistis in the Greek. So if you're taking notes, hope you wrote all that stuff down. Here's what it is. When he says the word persuade, it is the word pitho. And what that word means is it means to persuade. It means to convince someone. When you look up the word pistis, which is the word conviction of truth. What that word, the root word where it comes from, is this word pitho. And here's what we have to understand, is that before anyone is going to have pistis, faith in God, and be convicted of the truth, they have to be pitho, persuaded that the truth is for them to listen to. And so what was happening was Paul's defense and Paul's communication was so clear in this, that the only thing that Agrippa could say that would get the eye off of him was, man, do you think that in such a short period of time you're going to convert me? It wasn't, it wasn't an applaud to him. It was saying, man, look, I, I'm, I'm not ready to be converted. Verse 29, he says, and Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. When he had said these things, the king stood up, as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with them. And when they had gone outside, they talked among themselves, saying, This man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he, not had, if he had not appealed to Caesar. Paul's response in verse 29, he says, I would. And if, you, and, and, and if you listen to what he's saying, if you read it, 
He's saying with a passion. He's saying, I would to God. That, 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 that when he says I would, he says, I wish. I pray to God. What he's saying is, I prayed for this opportunity. Why would Paul pray for this opportunity? Because God said that he would testify before kings. And so what Paul was saying was, look, I, have pray, I pray that all of you would be both like I am, except for, he's saying, I wish that everyone in this place, in this short period of time, would be convinced of the truth that I'm trying to communicate. That they would all come to the saving knowledge of who Jesus is. The first thing that we see is that Festus and Agrippa, they try to defer this away. The thing that amazes me here is, like I said in the beginning of the message, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul was incarcerated for over two years without a reason. And he was more concerned about the freedom of his hearers than his own freedom. He was more concerned about the freedom of those people, the king that was listening, the governor that was listening, the people that were in the court that were hearing this whole thing. He was more concerned about their freedom than his own. Why? Because the gospel defined him. And because the gospel defined him, he would defend the gospel to the end of his days, which is what he did. And what was happening was he was driven by something else, which was the third point here. What defines us will drive our determination. What defines us will drive our determination. And when we are really being defined by the gospel, like I said, the struggle is there. It's really about where do I get my definition? Where do I get my identity? Our prayer should be that our lives are driven by the gospel with the determination that whatever my circumstances may be, that Jesus would be lifted higher than my circumstance through the preaching of his gospel. In other words, if my circumstance is good, my prayer should be that whatever my circumstance is, that I'm able to proclaim Jesus higher and more great than my situation, that he is greater than all the comfort that I have. And if my situation is bad, that I will be able to suffer faithfully and go through whatever it is that he calls me to go through because of what? Because there's one thing that matters at the end of the day, and that is that the gospel of Jesus Christ be proclaimed through my life to every person I come in contact with. No matter, listen, I don't get a pass. I don't get a pass because I'm on vacation. I, I, I told you all the story. I was, in, I was in Anaheim, California, and we were sitting on a bus, and, you know, going around. Like, you know, they have those buses that take you around to, um, like, from Disney to the hotel and all, all of that. What is it called? Shuttle bus. There you go. So I was sitting on a shuttle bus, and we're sitting there. And I'll never forget um, this, this couple. We, it was me, my wife, and Alexis. And a couple got on the bus. And so we're sitting down, and we're talking. And all of a sudden, I brought up something. I don't know. They, they, we were talking about where they were from. And they said they were from Seattle. And I was like, oh, okay. And so we're sitting in the bus. And I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't go into a gospel conversation, nothing like that. When they get off the bus, my wife nudges me. She's like, why didn't you tell them? I'm like, why didn't you tell them? I'm just kidding. I did not say that. <laughs> I didn't say that because I was too convicted. I didn't try to defer. But the reason why she said that was because they were talking about Seattle. And, and at that time, that's when I first, you know, started listening to Mark Driscoll and his, he, you know, his church is in Seattle. And so the point was we got off the bus and I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm on vacation. And so I'm not like in spiritual mode, right? But let me just tell you something. God is absolutely amazing because we went, we get off the bus. We were going to the movies. We went and had dinner. We went to the movies, came out of the movies, went back to the place where the shuttle bus picks you up. Guess who is sitting down at the shuttle? This couple that got dropped off at a different place, they were there. And I was like, Lord, if I don't open my mouth, I know I'm going to get struck dead. And so I knew the Holy Ghost was giving me the opportunity. And as we sat down there, all of a sudden, you know, I started talking. I brought up the conversation of church. And in this conversation, I was able to share with this woman that is like struggling with, with being, with, 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 with believing that all religions all lead to the same God. And as we're sitting there, mind you, now, here, now this is why this, this story becomes so impressive for me. It is because I am from Florida. They are from Seattle. And we are in California. Now, do you understand that? I mean, the, the, the chances of that happening are pretty slim and none. The point is, God is always opening doors for us to share the gospel. The question is, are we following his lead? And see, I got a second opportunity. A lot of us, that's not going to happen. We were able to share and talk with this woman, and, and, and she, didn't, she didn't give her life to Jesus. But there was one thing that came out of the conversation, because she could not understand, at least for me, this one thing came out of it, well, two things came out of it that were good. One thing was, I was able to share clearly, and I was able to convey to her that God is not a mean God. Hello. 
that God loves and that he sent his son to die in our place because she couldn't understand, you know, how this God could be, how he was, and this and that. And I said, listen, I said, we are the ones that are wicked. It's not God. Because that's what we want to do. We want to think that God is unfair. The fact of the matter was, God is not unfair. He sent Jesus to die and allows us to hear the message preached so that we can be saved from our sin and delivered from our bondages. Hello. And in all of that, and let me tell you, my wife can attest to this. I was pretty bold and I was pretty blunt and I said some things that were really cutting. And at the end of the conversation, she was like, you know what? She said, I can really feel the love of God coming through you. And I said, glory to God. <laughs> I said, glory to God. And, 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 and so that was a good thing. And her husband, who was sitting there, you know, he was, he, he was, he was raised different because she was raised Catholic and he was raised um, Methodist or something like that. And he said to me, he said, and, you know, he, he wasn't taking the spiritual leadership of his home, but he said this about his wife. He said, you know what? He said, she's a seeker, man. She's trying to find the truth. And I was like, well, praise God that I could be here to just deposit some truth into her life. The point is this, is that no matter how good our life is or what we're doing, we don't ever get a pass, church. What I mean is there's never a time that we should not be ready to share the gospel. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you're doing. And, and, and the same goes for when life is bad and situations are difficult. You don't get a pass because God says, well, your life is tough right now. Don't worry about sharing me. Listen, it doesn't happen like that. And I, and, I don't mean to, and I don't mean to sound like I lack compassion for hard situations, but what I want you to know is that Jesus, is that God says this clearly to Paul. Paul was like, look, I had this messenger from Satan that was there to buffet me, and I asked the Lord three times to remove it, and God said no. He said, because in your weakness, I am made strong. That's what he said. My grace is sufficient in your weakness. And so in my weakest moments, what I can trust is that the grace of God is sufficient, and what I should be focused on is what? Making sure that I am living and sharing the gospel always. We don't get a pass, church. Amen? In closing, here's what it is. I said gospel defined, gospel defended, and gospel driven. And so my question to you is this. In which area do you struggle the most? In these three areas, which area do you struggle the most? Do you struggle with being a person who is really defined by the gospel? Do you find yourself being more defined by accomplishments or more, or, or more defined by the things that you haven't accomplished, the failures in your life, or the things that are you're yet to do? Do you find yourself finding more of your identity in those things, or do you find yourself finding your, your identity in Jesus? Like I said earlier, no matter how spiritual we are, this is a constant struggle until we go to the grave to continue to find our identity in him or to be defined by him. Maybe your issue is you have an issue defending the gospel. Maybe you just, maybe you just struggle. You're just, you're, I mean, you're, you're a Christian, but you just struggle to open your mouth about the gospel because you are not confident in the gospel that you know. You're not confident in sharing the truth of the gospel. Maybe that's the area where you struggle. And listen, God wants to give us grace. He calls us to repentance for us finding our definition in other things. If we have a problem defending the gospel, then what he says to a son or daughter, he says, find your identity in me and the definition or the defending of the gospel will come out of that. Because as I am in the scriptures, as I am in the word, and I do my best every week to present the gospel as clearly as I can so that way weekly you hear the gospel. So you can just repeat, this is what my bishop says, or this is what I'm going to say. God is glorious. He is wonderful. We are sinners separated from God, and, and our eternal um, destination, as we're separated from him, is what? Is that we will spend eternity separated from God in hell. But Jesus died. Jesus died in our place so that way we would not have to suffer hell, but that way we could experience eternity together with God Almighty. That's the, this is the gospel. And because we put our faith, we turn from our sin, and we put our faith in Jesus, we get a new identity. We no longer are known by our old man or our own ways, but we are known by him as sons and daughters. That's the gospel. Maybe you have issues sharing that. Maybe you have problems. Maybe, and, and, and you know, maybe that is the area in which you struggle. Or maybe your struggle is that you're not really driven to share the gospel. You're confident in what you could say, but there's no real passion. There's no real burden. There's nothing really going on inside of you for the gospel. And you know what? This morning, God calls all of us in whatever area that we struggle to put our faith in him and allow him to define us so that we can defend the gospel and that we will be driven by the gospel. Amen? Stand to your feet, please, and bow your heads with me.
I'm going to ask you to grab your neighbor's hand. I'm going to pray with you. Hallelujah, Jesus. I want you to pray for your neighbor in this place. Holy Spirit, we come to you right now. We humble ourselves before your presence, God Almighty. Lord, you have searched our hearts. You know us well, Lord God. You know us better than we know ourselves. And God, you see each person that is before me today, Lord God. Some of them are not believers, God. Some of them have not put their faith in you. Today, my God, is the day of salvation. I pray over them, my God, that they would repent of their sin, that they would confess their need for you, God, that they would put their faith and their trust in you today, my God. Before they leave this place, my Lord, they will make the most important decision of their lives, my God, to trust you. God, that their lives would never be the same again. Father, and there are others of us in this place, Lord God, we struggle with our identity, my God. Finding our identity in accomplishments or failures or, Lord God, things outside of the gospel. Lord God, have mercy on us. Father, fill us with grace. Father, some of us in this place, we struggle with defending the gospel, my God. Lord, we may be cowardly or, Father God, we lack confidence, but Lord, I pray today that you would fill with confidence and you would fill with boldness, my God, each of us in this place. And God, lastly, I pray for us, my God, that we would be driven, God, that we would be driven by the gospel, my God. That we would be driven, that we would be determined as the Apostle Paul was that no matter our circumstance, Lord God, be it good or bad, Lord God, whether we're in vacation mode or Lord God, whether we're in work mode or whatever mode we're in, that we will be in gospel mode, my God. That we will be in the mindset to share you, my God. That we would realize that our lives have, are not our own, but God, we have been bought at a great price, dear Lord. God, I pray that you fill us with grace. I pray that you fill us with grace. I pray that you would glorify yourself in us, God. Lord, we surrender all of our hearts, all of our mind, and all of our desires unto you today. Be glorified in us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Someone said, Hallelujah. Give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.